friends welcome to another episode of making disciples my name is chris rogers and i am your host and i am so pleased that you are with me today i'm so pleased because it's really nice to know people are listening and uh, in the last couple of weeks had quite a few uh, different ones of you reach out either through facebook or instagram just saying uh, you've really been appreciating the podcast so i'm really i love making these uh, because I love to know that they connect and they help you with your faith. This is a discipleship podcast. This isn't about you learning more about me. It's not a podcast about my life. In fact, I try to very little talk about myself um, in the podcast. Uh, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him and it's having confidence in him. And today's episode I am going to be exploring how we can have confidence in the Bible. The Bible is one of the central pillars of our faith. It's where we get our teachings from Jesus from. It's where we get the big God story from. It's where we get our ethics from. Uh, it's what gives our faith uh, the foundation. Uh, you know, it's what gets passed on. Scripture gets passed on, passed on, passed on. We teach from scripture. We don't teach from ideas that change over time. We teach from God's word. But the question that we often get asked as disciples of Jesus or as Christians is, is well, how can you believe that old book? What I want to explore today is why we can have confidence in the book. What is it about the Bible that means we can have confidence in it. So we're going to jump straight in because I've got so much I want to fly through in this episode. I'm hoping it won't be longer than usual, but I want to give you as much evidence as I can for why the Bible is credible. So friends, let's jump straight into this episode today, exploring why we can have confidence in the Bible. So I get asked questions or or made statements to quite often about the Bible. Um, people tell me it contradicts itself. People tell me that God changes in it. Uh, people tell me that passages have changed over time, that the Bible that we have now is not the same as the Bible that was written. And actually, uh, none of that is true. And I want to walk through why we can have confidence in the Bible. Uh, the Bible is written with about 40 different authors, could be 35 authors, it's somewhere between 35 and 40 authors, depending on how many authors we think wrote certain books. We say that King David wrote the Psalms, but actually it's very possible that was, well, we know there was a number of writers wrote Psalms. Uh, David wrote a large chunk of them, but not all of them. So about 40 authors over a period of about 2,500 years. And the Old Testament and the New Testament we approach differently. The Old Testament uh, was written over a longer period of time. I want to focus particularly on the New Testament today. Why can we uh, have confidence that the New Testament uh, is what was written uh, 2,000 years ago? And if I was to say, well, why is this important? Why is it important that we know this? 1 Peter 3.15 says this, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if somebody asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. We need to be good 
at explaining and backing up our faith with credible arguments. So that is what I want to try and explore to you today. So the Bible is a historical book. It's set in a real time with real people. So what we're not exploring here is a book that sits outside of time. We're not trying to argue for a book like Lord of the Rings. We're not, we're not trying to argue when that was written, a book that's a fictional text outside of time. The Bible was written in a timeline with people in a city. And th that really helps us because it gives us some credibility in the, the locations that are mentioned, the geography that is mentioned. It's evident by the people that write the New Testament. They know the geography, the topography. They know the landscape. They knew uh, when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, what that would look like, what he was looking at. Uh, the geography is really important. In other words, the writers had been there. So some people have said to me in the past, hey, Chris, you know the Bible? It was just written by a bunch of drunk men in the pub. Come on. This is a book that's set in a location where the writers know that location and they know that when Jesus says something, it, it's set in a place because they were there. In other words, it's eyewitness accounts. So what we get in the Gospels isn't a description of what happened in the life of Jesus uh, as, as a story, but we get it as an eyewitness account. The Gospel of Mark, I believe, Peter dictates it to young Mark. Mark, who was one of Peter's followers. Mark's a young writer and he writes, you know, Peter was a fisherman. He's uh, writing, his Greek wasn't great. Uh, he's also, we're told, that he's losing his eyesight. So he dictates the story as an eyewitness account uh, to Mark and Mark writes it down. It's an eyewitness account. The only gospel that's not an eyewitness account is Luke. Uh, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. What is Luke? Luke was a doctor who set about being a bit of a Sherlock Holmes and he went and found people who had specifically met Jesus along the way and he writes down their eyewitness accounts. So he's like a historical document uh, looking at the evidence, almost like he's a detective uh, in, in a real-life crime drama. He's writing down the evidence as he gets it from the individuals. The other three Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, so just, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, they are eyewitness accounts. It's history is what we're looking at here. Somebody wrote down what they saw God doing. What was it written on? This is really important for us as we go forward. The New Testament specifically was written on papyrus. It's an organic material. It's a bit, uh, a bit like paper. Uh, it's a very early form of paper. It's what was used to make up scrolls. And the papyrus uh, was an organic material that was not going to survive long term. There's not many copies of texts at that time, which we'll look at in a, in a little while. Other writings don't exist from that time. Uh, are many copies of things because the papyrus just breaks down it deteriorates in fact the more it's handled the more it will break down the more it's touched by the grease and the oils in people's hands it will break down so what we do have are, of the new testament actually those documents are the ones that were least used uh i'm going to tell you in a little while in a minute uh, about a particular copy of the new testament that we have in its entirety the only reason we have it in its entirety is because it wasn't used it was actually put into storage it was actually hidden away 
that's why we've got it as a whole document. So let me just explore this. It was written on papyrus. The Old Testament was written, written in scrolls. The New Testament was written in what's called a codex. Codex was new technology. It's what you and I would recognize as a book. It's folded square sheets of papyrus that was then written on. So I want you to imagine this for a moment. When you and I think of the New Testament, we think of a book. We think of the library of books as we get it now as a text. 2,000 years ago, they did not have the New Testament the way that we had it. We, they had books and texts. So they had short, you could almost say like short stories, short stories of. So I might be the owner of the Gospel of Matthew. My neighbour might have a copy of the Gospel of Mark. Hey, I've just read Mark. Do you want to swap it with your with your Matthew? You know, could we do a swap over? And then over time, people might go, oh, I really, can I buy that copy of Mark that you've got from you and put it into my collection? Uh, and now I've got two copies, two Gospels. Oh, and he's got a John over here. Can I buy that John off you? I remember the New Testament, when it was originally written, it was copied by hand. It was hand copied, which took long periods of time for people to sit and to scribe this stuff out. So not everybody had a New Testament. Not everybody had every text from the New Testament. Not everybody had all the Gospels. But there would be somebody in the village that had one of the Gospels and somebody else that might have then had a second Gospel. So that's how it worked. So people had these individual Gospels. And as individual Gospels, they would get passed around. So, how do we know what was written 2,000 years ago by the, the Gospel writers is what they wrote? So the version of the New Testament that you and I have today is not a copy from 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 a copy. Somebody said to me recently, Chris, the Bible has changed. Every time it's been copied, it's been changed. When you and I walk into a shop and buy a copy of the New Testament today, that is not a copy from a version from the 1950s, of which was a copy from a version from the 19, early 1900s, which was a copy from a, a copy from the 1800s, the 1700s. It, no, that's not what we've got. That's what did happen until l later times. It's just a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. So there's a danger that this, the, a copy of the Bible from the 1700s had variations in it, little changes on the way, and I'll explain those changes in a minute. No, what we have is a translation from the earliest copies that we have to date. So when you buy a Bible, you are getting a copy from a translation from the earliest manuscripts. Chris, what is the earliest copy of the New Testament, surviving New Testament that we have? Complete New Testament. Okay. Codex Sciaticus is the oldest surviving complete manuscript of the New Testament. And we believe it's a copy from the 13 uh, from 330 to 350 AD. So somewhere around 330 AD. So 300 years after Jesus's death is the earliest copy of the New Testament that we have. Now, you and I then go, "What? Chris, the, the earliest Bible that we have dates to 300 years after Jesus." Well, right I'm I'm turning off the podcast this is it. I'm done. I'm losing my faith. What is the point of believing in something that was written 300 years after Jesus? Hang on, hang on, hang on. We've got more information and data than that. But that's the first whole copy of the New Testament, surviving New Testament that we have, okay? 
So, what is the oldest page of the New Testament that we have? Well, friends, that's called Papyrus B1. Papyrus B1 is dated somewhere around 250 AD, and it's at the first page of the Gospel of Matthew. It's in a real um, state, but it's legible. You can you can see the text in it. And what we're able to do is we take that copy of two from 250, and we put it up against the Codex Sciaticus, and we go, how similar is it? Are there variations and changes? No, not, not really. There aren't. So there we go. Ah, so now we have a copy of a part of the Bible that dates even earlier, 250. Okay, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Let me, me ask you, what is the oldest, oldest uh, damaged page that we have? Well, friends, that goes back to Papyrus B. Four, and that's Luke chapter 6 and it was written, it was a copy somewhere between 100 and 200 AD, we think it was about 150 AD, so now we have a page from the Bible that's about 100 years after just over 100 years after Jesus and that's of Luke chapter 6 and we put that up against our Codex Sciaticus is it the same? Yes it is okay, so now we have a copy of the Bible, a page of the Bible that pulls the Bible right the way up to about 100 years after Jesus. That's exciting, isn't it? So what is the oldest fragment of the New Testament that we have? And friends, we have so many fragments in the New Testament. It's a wealth of information, okay? I'm just pulling out some key parchments and papyri for you to kind of make this argument. There's a piece of papyrus, it's called Papyrus 52, it's a fragment of the Gospel of John. It was found uh, in a library. It's called the Rylands Library. And as I've been told it, it was in a box of pieces of papyrus that students were using to translate the New Testament. They were using it as students to uh, look at what the Bible looks like and translate bits of the Bible as they were educated in their Greek. Apparently, somebody looked at it and went, hang on, I think you've got something here that, that's a lot younger, sorry, like older, but, you know, earlier to Jesus than what you probably think it is. When they checked it out, uh, they check out the papyrus, the age of the papyrus, and they also check out the handwriting on it. Now, what's really interesting is every generation has a slightly different handwriting. We know this to be true. Look at your grandparents' handwriting. Look at your parents' handwriting. Look at your handwriting. Our handwriting has changed. You can date a document by its handwriting style. The Rylands New uh, Gospel of John, this piece of papyrus, dates back to somewhere around 120 AD, uh, about 100 years after Jesus. So what we're able to do is we can get earlier and earlier pieces of the New Testament, little fragments of the New Testament, and what we're able to do is then pull the Bible earlier, pull the Bible earlier, pull the Bible earlier, because now we've got a piece that's even earlier, a piece that's even earlier, a piece that's even earlier. Remember, we've got the entire text from 300 years before after Jesus. And what we do is we take these little fragments and we can hold it up against like a jigsaw. It's like taking a jigsaw piece and going to a jigsaw that's completed uh, with a jigsaw piece. And you can think, you know, does this jigsaw piece match this jigsaw? kind of thing so you can kind of you know uh it's the it's the same thing on this jigsaw piece as to what's on this jigsaw so that's what we're doing we're looking at the, these little pieces of papyrus can i find this in codex sciatica or others like it and does it show me that it's the same 
it's essentially the same writing and the answer is yes 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 so we have confidence that the bible is a good representation of what existed in the earliest writings and we're talking about dating uh, in a minute uh, again i just want to be a little bit more i want to give you a bit more confidence in the new testament so how was the new testament put together because we hear rumors like things like darren darren brown dan brown yeah, the Da Vinci Code, that guy. You know, in books like that, we hear these myths that it was the nice, uh, the Council of Nicaea in AD 325 that put the New Testament together and they decided what was in and what was out. That's not true at all. So the earliest church members uh, s seem to uh, read the writings of Peter, Paul, Matthew, John and Luke. Uh, how do we know that they read that stuff very early on? They were reading that canon stuff uh, from the New Testament very early on because they write the copy from each other. Uh, they write from each other, and other ex, ex, you know, further field writers, Ignatius, um, some of the early church fathers actually quote from these early writings in their writings. So actually, we we know from the earliest days that the disciples of the disciples uh, were actually quoting and reading these texts. So what we know is the very early church had already started using the Gospels and the writings of Paul uh, as scripture. They were already using them uh, as uh, what we would describe now as the New Testament. Maybe not put together the way that we know it, but they were referencing these texts. Uh, the Maturian canon, which is AD 200, so uh, 200 years, well, 170 years after Jesus, uh, the Maturian canon had already listed what they felt was in the New Testament. Um, so we, we've got some very early accounts of what people thought were God's texts or God's New Testament, essentially. They were behaving it, they were living it out rather than it being like a dictated thing from anybody. But it's not until late 300s that actually there was a council uh, that they officially said, right, this is now the New Testament and it's finished. Uh, what did the, that council and those councils uh, set as the bar for entry into the canon of the New Testament? The bar was this. All the texts had to be written by people who were eyewitnesses to Jesus or had spoken to eyewitnesses. So you could only get those that were really people who had encountered Jesus in their life. You couldn't have second generation writers. So that's how the New Testament was put together. So, Chris, that's really interesting. So we've got all these old fragments of the Bible. Uh, we've got people using the New Testament very early on. Uh, how does that relate to other writings that existed at that time? That's a really good question. So uh, I just want to give you a little bit of an idea here. So Aristotle, who was a philosopher, uh, he wrote, uh, well, his writings were around the region of 300 BC. The earliest copy that we have to date uh, so when I say earliest, this is the copy that w the earliest that we have. There were obviously copies before that, but they've disappeared. They've damaged. They've fallen apart. We don't have them anymore. The earliest copy of Aristotle that we have is 1100 AD. So 1100 years after Jesus. Uh, and we've only got five copies of it. There's only five copies from that date. So uh, we've got five copies of something that was written almost 1400 years after it but we still think it was written by aristotle what about julius caesar the writings of julius caesar were written about 50 bc the earliest copy that we have of julius caesar's work is 900 a.d 900 
years after Jesus. And how many copies of that do we have? Ten. Um, what about Tacticus? Tacticus was a Greek uh, historian. He wrote about 100 years after Jesus. The earliest copy of his writings that we have wasn't, isn't until 1100 AD, so a, a thousand years after Jesus. So what we would now say is a thousand years ago. Uh, that's the earliest copy of that that we have. So there's a, there's a thousand years missing. And the, er, the the number of copies that we have is 200. So that's really interesting. So let's now hold that against the New Testament. How many full New Testament manuscripts do we have? We have 5,300. Remember, we've just been talking about Aristotle and Caesar and Tacticus having five copies, two copies, 20 copies. We have got 5,300 copies of the New Testament. So we're talking about fragments those little fragment pieces of the New Testament, how many of those do we have? We have 10,000 fragment pieces of the New Testament. In other words, friends, we have got so much, so many copies, little pieces of the New Testament that give us credibility to this text, okay? So we have a wealth, a wealth of proof that this text existed, that this text dates way back to the first century, and that the version that we have now is not based on a later edition. It's based on those early copies of the New Testament. So I'm hoping that's given you some um, credibility so far. I want to try and answer this question, um, which I've not actually done in this way before. So work with me. Uh, if you were to say to me, Chris, how do we know when the New Testament was written? Because if you're saying to me the earliest copy we have is 100 years after Jesus, that fragment... Uh, how do we know, therefore, when it was written? Let me just take a sip of coffee. I've got a dreadful sore throat at the moment, which you probably can tell on the podcast. So, how can we date some of the New Testament as being written at the time of Jesus? What is it about the New Testament that means we can do that? Because if you're saying to me, Chris, that we don't have a copy of the New Testament, a piece of it that's within the first 70 years how do we know it was written in the first 70 years let me try and give you some evidence to this so there's two historical events i want to tell you about if jesus died in 33 a.d in 70 a.d was the destruction of the temple and in 69 a.d we have the siege of jerusalem okay jerusalem is destroyed what is it that Jesus teaches? Jesus teaches that the that the temple will be destroyed. It was a prophecy that Jesus spoke about. He's talking about himself. But he's also prophesying the, the destruction of the temple. Which of the gospel writers reference that event of the temple being destroyed? Not one of them mentioned the new in the New Testament that the temple is destroyed. In, in fact, we get no reference to the temple being destroyed in in any of the gospels uh, nor in the book of acts why it hadn't happened yet if that event had happened they'd have written in the new testament or in the book of acts and the temple was destroyed as jesus prophesied they don't do that they don't do that because the writings were written pre-69 ad so in the lifetime of those that lived um and breathed with jesus okay so the fact that these may these are major events it's like if i was writing now about the history of america you couldn't write about the history of america and not mention september 11th the twin towers such a significant event in the history of america okay the iraq war a significant event in america you can't not mention these things it's so important the siege of jerusalem and the destruction of the temple 
is bigger deal to the Jewish people than September 11th is to the America. It's a bigger deal. Chris, how can you say that? I can say that because the temple in Jerusalem was the very heart of everything. Their entire life centered around that event, so it would be mentioned. So Paul uh, Paul died in uh, AD 64-67, okay? Paul's death is not mentioned in the book of Acts, only his arrest and imprisonment. So therefore, the book of Acts needs to be written before 64 AD, because the book of Acts doesn't even mention that, okay? The death of Paul would be mentioned. We're told he's in prison, but we're not told of his death. So the book of Acts was written before Paul's death. Paul's death, 64 to 67. Okay, let's pull it even further forward. James, the brother of Jesus died in AD 61. Where is James's death mentioned in the New Testament? It isn't. If Stephen Stoning is mentioned in the New Testament, then James, the brother of Jesus's death, really should have been mentioned in the New Testament, and it's not. Therefore, we can say the Gospels and the book of Acts are even earlier than AD 61. Okay, so we believe that Luke wrote the book of Acts somewhere earlier than AD 60, okay, the year before uh, James's death. So we're pulling the New Testament and we're pulling the Gospels right the way up to 60 AD. So we know, therefore, that even though we don't have the text written down as evidence, we do have this historical event that we that isn't mentioned in there therefore we can pull it forward because all the other historical events are read it so one other little piece of evidence i want to give let's talk about the gospel of luke for a moment i want to argue the gospel of luke was written around 53 a.d why round that day i want to argue that because the gospel of luke is quoted by Paul. So in Luke 10, uh, 67, it says the worker deserves his wages. And in 1 Timothy 5, 17, Paul quotes in that letter to Timothy, the, weaker, uh, the wor worker deserves his wages. He's quoting from the Gospel of Luke. So L Paul's writing to Timothy right before his death. If his death was somewhere in the 60s, you, you've got to pull it all forward, you see, because he's quoting from. So Luke was obviously written before Paul's death because Paul's quoting from. Another little example is great. This is 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. In it, Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper. Now, Paul was never at the Lord's Supper. So Paul doesn't know what Jesus said at the Lord's Supper because he wasn't there. Uh, but we're told in 1 Corinthians that he specifically quotes what Jesus said. And in it, we're told that Jesus said, drink this cup in remembrance of me. And it goes on. Where's he got that from? Well, the only gospel that quotes that as those words is the gospel of Luke in 2219, where Luke word for word describes what Jesus said in the, new t in the um, Last Supper. So we know that Paul has read the gospel of Luke and he's quoting the Gospel of Luke. So therefore, we can date the Gospel of Luke pre-Paul's death and pre, uh, kind of pre-Jesus' 
um, the writings of Paul. So it's somewhere around that kind of 53, 54 AD. Now, if we can put Luke somewhere around 53 AD, this is really cool, okay? Who does Luke quote from? Is there any any other gospel that Luke quotes from uh, in his writings? The answer is yes. So we can pull the gospel of Mark before the gospel of Luke because Mark is quoted by Luke. Luke references lines and sentences by Mark. Who was Mark? Mark was writing Peter's gospel for him. So we can pull the gospel of Mark even earlier. So we think the gospel of Mark was written between uh, 45 and 50 AD. So evidence of scripture isn't just in papyrus. It's also about what's referenced in it and how it's referenced. If I was writing now about my life, but I wanted to argue that this writing of my life was written in the first 15 years of my life, I wrote it as a teenager. If there was any reference in that of any historical events that happened after my 15th birthday, that would prove that I wrote it after, because historical events are referenced in there that wouldn't have happened at the time it was meant to be written. That's one of the things that we have to do in the New Testament. What is referenced? What is talked about in the New Testament? So we've got evidence of papyrus. We've got evidence of timeline, which I think is really interesting. So what do we do about difficulties of contradictions in the Bible? And I often get told, oh, the Bible's got full of contradictions. The Bible's full of contradictions. My line is, show me these contradictions. Um, often the contradiction is not a contradiction at all. It's a shift in time. It's a shift in understanding. Um, so in uh, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, you know, God tells um, uh, tells the Jewish people that if they were going to sell their daughter, they've got to go get a good price for her. Later in the uh, New Testament, we, we see that there's a shift and women can't be bought and sold. They can't be possessions. They have to be honoured. Jesus talks about. So there's a change. Is it a contradiction? No, it's a, it's a time change. One was written 1,500 years before the life of Jesus. So there's a shift. Look at this as an example. So Genesis 32, 30 says this. So Jacob, who was wrestling with God at this moment, he was out in the wilderness, he'd run away. It says that, so God, uh, Jacob called the place Pinal, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So Paul, uh, sorry, uh, Jacob wrestles with uh, a being who claims to be God. And he says, I wrestle with God face to face. John 1.18 says this, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in uh, close relationship with the father has made him known. So according to John, nobody's seen the face of God. So there's a contradiction here. Uh, Jacob claims to have seen God face to face. John says nobody's ever seen God face to face. So which is it? It's a contradiction. Actually, it's a literary device. When Jacob say, says, I, I saw God face to face, it's a face to face is just about I met the presence of God. It's a literary device that we find in the Old Testament. Moses says he met with God face to face, um, but he doesn't meet with him face to face in in that sense. Not seen his face. It's face to face is about his presence, sat in God's presence. So it's a literary device. So understanding these literary devices can help us understand what is first perceived to be contradiction. Well, let me answer this one finally. Well, the passages have changed. Uh, things have transformed and changed in the New Testament. 
Okay, you know what I just said a minute ago about your version of the Bible comes from the earliest manuscripts? That's not always been true. So the King James Bible. The King James Bible was a manuscript. Uh, of the, it was an English text translated from uh, what is called the, the Latin Vulgate New Testament or other scriptures so the, the King James Bible I would say is a dreadful translation it's a dreadful translation because it's a translation of a translation um, the Greek was translated to Latin the Latin was then translated into English and therefore I don't think the, the, the King James Bible is a very good Bible and you may debate that with me but it's a translation of a translation I want to get to a, as close to the original Greek as I pos possibly can get the King James Bible is just that. So if you were to take the, uh, the uh, King James Bible and you were to take another New Testament translation, you would find things that have changed, translations that are different. That is because one has come through the root of Latin translation and one's come from the direct Greek translation. So that's where you start seeing things that are modified. Now, the other way it's modified. So if, um, I'm going to give you two words. If I said Jesus walked down a ginnel, you might go, down a what? A ginnel? What's a ginnel? Ginnel is a northern phrase for alleyway. So if I'm translating the New Testament and I'm copying it out for my friends to read and I come across the word ginnel, I go, well, they're not going to know what a ginnel is. Tell you what, I'm not going to, in this copy of the New Testament that I'm making, I'm not going to use the word ginnel. I'm going to use uh, the word alleyway because at least then they're going to understand. So there's been these generational changes were made, uh, not in, co uh, in content, but just in a, a word understanding. So you could say, let me look at the Bible from 600 AD and let me look at the Bible from 1000 AD as there have been changes. And the answer is yes. Not changes in content, but con changes in, in words or how words are explained. And it, it's because language changed, words changed, culture changed. Ginnel does not make sense to everybody, so let's use the word alleyway. That's where these changes come. So when you hear people say, oh, there's these changes in the New Testament. Friends, that it's in that kind of, they're, they're the changes uh, that, that, that were made. Uh, there are other things that we think were added. So the end of the Gospel of Mark has a extra paragraph. Now, if you have a good translation of the Bible, you will see that there's an asterisk and it'll point you to the bottom of the page and say this last little paragraph isn't in the earliest manuscripts. Later manuscripts... 400 AD, 350 AD, add in an extra end to the Gospel of Mark. Why? Because the Gospel of Mark just ends. It doesn't really have much of a wrap-up. Uh, there's no conclusion to, to it. It's, it's a bit of a weird ending. So somebody at some point was like, let me just land this bit better because it's not landing very well. And so they added in a paragraph that then got copied and copied and copied uh, as time went by. But we know that that paragraph isn't there. So when you buy a copy of the Bible, it will say this final paragraph this is not in uh, the earliest manuscripts so we know it's a later edition so everybody's holding up their hands going look we're very honest about what has been added in and this is added in and uh, like it's obviously a later edition so take your pick what you want to do with that so has the bible changed well, no we're honest and upfront about any edition that's added in so friends i pray you found that really helpful uh, any evidence but let me just land with this thought for you D.L. Moody says this the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge but was given to change our lives friends the scriptures are here to edify and transform our lives they're here to not just be a historical document of the life of Jesus but they're here to breathe life into us so I want to encourage you 
to get into scripture read the new testament read the life of christ know it live it breathe it uh, i love it eugene peterson says this that we should eat this book eat the bible when you eat the bible you should devour it metabolize it and turn it into works of action uh, live out our lives as if we're Jesus Christ. So the scriptures are meant to be something that edifies us and transforms us. And that's my challenge to us today. We might have all this evidence that it's true, uh, confidence that it's actually what was written 2,000 years ago. Uh, we may, may be able to make some good arguments for that. But if we don't see it transform our lives, that's ultimately the thing. So friends, I would love to invite you, allow scripture to form you, shape you, and transform you. So I pray that you found that helpful, giving credibility and confidence to scripture. Friends, until next time, have a great week and grace and peace. Mm -hmm.